Welcome to Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad, and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way, and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Welcome everyone to Life's a Beach. I'm Hoppo and I'm really looking forward to this episode. It's a great one and joining me in the Beach Shack is actor and singer Mark Furs, best known for his role on the hit series Home and Away. Mark most recently made it to the final rounds on The Voice Australia. Also, lifeguard Clint Clifford Kimmons joins me for the beach banner for a ride he did from Bondi to Gold Coast on his bicycle. Okay, today in the Beach Shack, we've got the well-known musician actor, Mark Furs. How, how are you, brother? Thanks for having me, mate. Oh, mate, it's good to have you near the uh, the Beach Shack. And I suppose we'll kick it off with, you recently just did The Voice. Have a chat yeah. about that. And yeah, what was that like? Um, well, you're, you're an experienced singer, aren't you, mate? <laughs> oh, yeah, mate, if you were... Uh... Yeah, you heard my voice. Uh, <laughs> I think we did a little bit of that at, at uh, VanFest years ago. Yes, yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, mate, it was probably the most terrifying thing that I can remember doing in my life. And it's a weird kind of fear because you're not going to die. You know, there's nothing, yeah, you're not yeah. in danger. But yet it's so frightening. Um, I don't remember being more nervous for anything than right. that first audition. Even after all the years of acting and doing live shows yeah. and you still get that same nervous feeling. Oh, way more for something like The Voice, I guess, because for that first one, you know, if you're at a pub and you're doing a show or even if you're in front of thousands of people, they're, they're there for that and they're usually drinking and they're chatting and they're, you know, there's a vibe there. Whereas with this is you're, you're just <laughs> setting yourself up for instant judgment, you know, it's yeah. silent and there's backs of chairs and there's people in the room and everyone's completely quiet and you wander out there and just be and just hope for the best man like because you know I've, as you say I've done it thousands of times yeah. but in that environment you get 90 seconds to get something as perfect as you possibly can and then it's done so yeah the lead up is, is incredibly daunting yeah I could find I could imagine myself there but when you're singing and then you're anticipating just that chair turn do you yeah. think about that when you're singing just someone turn that chair around oh i was having nightmares about you know no one turning around and you know being ridiculed and and all that kind of stuff but my thought more so was i had this big high note that i had to hit at the start of the song and i was just thinking look if i can just get that out and get started then i'll be good and that actually happened for me I, i you know when i started singing i was like cool i'm good i actually don't mind what happens because i was you know you kind of get in the flow state and it all kind of just came out beautifully and then before i knew it all four chairs had turned around and i was like oh i'm, I'm singing to people here we go cool <laughs> so i can kind of relax a bit but yeah, it all kind of just I, I just kind of i go offline you know and just it just happens it's a bit of i guess it is that flow state kind of thing so yeah when you, before you went on, was there a judge you really wanted to align with or you just thought, well, I'll see who turns around, I'll work it out from that moment? 
I guess I had pretty low expectations. I was thinking, look, I'll take what I can get, to be honest, <laughs> as long as I, as long as someone wants to hear me sing more. You know, because I know that, like, the rock guys don't particularly, there's not usually many on these shows and yeah. it's not a trending genre of music. And being a rock singer, I was kind of like, is this even a good decision to do this show and all that kind of stuff? So I was pretty happy to get anyone to turn around and then from then on, everything would have been a bonus. And, and it's also kind of weird because I know Guy quite well. So there was that thing about I mean I'd love to be on his team but we're mates so yep. immediately that would have been a bit weird I'm sure people would have been thinking well you know he's he's friends with the coach yeah. and all that kind of yeah. stuff so I didn't want to have any of that that drama involved yeah. it's it's dramatic enough as it is without that kind of thing you know <laughs> and do you think you learned I mean you did very well you ended up I think it was the semi-finals you got through to yeah yeah top eight well that's a great effort especially you're saying that they don't okay. take the uh, the rock and rollers through as yeah, much. I think I, I think I did awfully well. I, I was I had a really good run. Yes, I was I was blessed by the the rock gods to be able to get that far. And do, and do you think you um you, did you learn even though you've been in that the industry for so long? Was there a yeah. lot you learnt that you didn't think that you would? Yeah, yeah. The the biggest thing I think that I can take away from it was I, I was actually really stoked that I was able to stay present and conscious throughout the experience this time because I've done a few, you know, I've been lucky in my life and my career. I've had a few pretty cool experiences and been on some cool TV shows and movie sets and, and done some great concerts and, and, and played some great gigs, but they, they disappear so quickly. It's easy to just kind of be a passenger and just float through it. Whereas I, I went into this with the intention of going look if, if I get through on this show and get to keep doing it I want to make the effort to actually stop and look around you know and, yep. and, and enjoy the experience of what I'm doing and, and I kind of learnt how to do that even better as the show was going on you know just hanging out with the with the yeah. with the ladies in in wardrobe and, and enjoying my new friendships everything outside of the big huge performance with yeah. this in, insane production value but actually being present for the experience that was a big one and i managed to kind of hang on to that i think relatively well so that i, I didn't get too depressed after the show finished i mean you always kind of get the the post show blues but yeah. um i i didn't look back and go oh oh that's over and i missed it i looked back and was like no i i, I was very present for that and i still yeah. i i miss it but I was there for it when it happened. Now, going back, it's a fair while ago, but your early days, I know you had a, a lead role in the version of Oliver, and I think you are only around about 10 years old then. Yeah, the, the <laughs> Outsiders was another one you did. So tell us about how, at that age, you obviously haven't, you can't really be trained. It's, is it natural ability at that age, or how does that all come about? <laughs> Yeah, for me, it was 100% just, just instinct. You know, yeah. my old man was always, he was a dentist, he's retired now, but every year he would go in one of the amateur theatre company, uh, Orange, I grew up in Orange, Central West New right. South Wales, and Orange Theatre Company would do, you know, musicals every year and, and dad would dad would always go in one. So I, you know, from when I was very young, would watch dad up on stage and thought, oh, that's pretty cool. And then there was one year when he, when they were doing Oliver and he was auditioning for it, for the role of Fagin and asked me if I wanted to do it. I was like, oh yeah, cool. Yeah. So I, I was 10, yeah, yeah. And I went along and auditioned and they happened to like me. Yeah. I mean, at 10, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just kind of <laughs> emulating what my old man would do and, yeah. and, you know, other people that I'd seen do it. And I didn't really know that I could sing, but it turned out that I could at the time. And I guess the rest is history. 
actually. But yeah, I hadn't prepped for that at all. (laughs) Was that something you thought, well, I'm going to take this on now as a career? Or still at that age, you just don't know what you want to do? Or or you thought, well, geez, I found a talent I didn't know I had? Yeah, I guess I I do remember there was a time when I think I was actually, how old are you when you're in kindergarten? Five? Yeah, about five. five? About five, yeah. Yeah, I was five. So it was kindergarten and and my, my school would do this, they called it the Star Search concert. And each each grade would do a uh, performance. And obviously, you know, the kindergarten performance is, is not going to be the most intricate performance. Yep. So what we did was we did a performance of an Elvis song. It was right. Blue Suede Shoes, right? And the teacher wanted someone, one of us had to be Elvis and all the other kids were just dancing. And she asked one kid to do it and he didn't want to do it because he had curly hair. So he was kind of, right. you know, had the, could done the Elvis curl and he was like, <laughs> he didn't want to do it. And I was like, well, I'll do it. Um, and so then, so I did it. I was Elvis standing up with this plastic guitar and these stupid sunglasses on dancing. And I knew all the words to Blue Suede Shoes and all the other kids were dancing around. And, and I think I remember at that moment going, oh, I think I might want to do this in my life. You know, at five years old going, I think I'm going to be, I think I'm going to play the guitar. I'm going to be, <laughs> going to be a performer, you know. So I guess, I guess it was actually already in there some from, yeah, from an, from an early age that I figure, you know, this is pretty fun. If I can keep doing this, I'll be living the dream. I, um, the closest I got to be an actor was, was, and, and you've been in these shows, Water Rats and Home and Away. I was an, a- yeah. an extra. That's about as best I got and as close as I got to be, uh, I remember the diner in, in Home and Away. I used to go in yeah. and do that. And then Water Rats as well. We, when, I think they were filming at Garden Island at the time or, or it was probably a bit before yeah. your time, but it was sort of, I think, late 90s or I was doing that sort of stuff, just a bit of extra work in uh, in the winter months. Okay. Well, <laughs> so did you have a crack at it or you just thought, I'll just do the extra work and no, know, I just get did the extra work. see what no, it's I like? I don't think they saw much of a talent past that for me. So <laughs> that oh, they were blind, it. mate. They weren't looking, they weren't looking hard enough. So what, what were those days like? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the Water Rats was, um, so I was on Water Rats for, I was just one episode, I think, it was a little guesty, yeah, and I was, yeah. that was before Home and Away, actually, yeah, that would have been, yeah. that was, again, I was in, I was in early high school, I think, or maybe, yeah. maybe I was even younger, but I was just along for the ride, you know, I was yeah. just like, wow, oh yeah, cool, cool, this, obviously I'm doing something right, and I turned up on set, and, and you know, try and figure out what everything was, <laughs> and do what I was told, and go where I was meant to go, and, and it was a great way to, it was a great way to make Money. Not that I was worried about yeah. making money at you know fourteen years old or whatever, yeah. but yeah, it was it was just fun. It was just yeah. fun being around creative people and 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 being involved in the creative process. And I I guess that's where it. I, I really started to realise, you know, you, Mark, you're a creative person because it's, you know, ask me to do some math and then you've come to the wrong place. Forget <laughs> about it. But make up a story and I'm your guy. You know? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't too good at maths either, mate. That's why I'm a lifeguard. So, yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> the other one I really liked and I loved watching it was The Underbelly, The Gold Mile. You are in that as well. How was – that would have been a great experience. Yeah, that one was fun. That one was um, – I played – Played Trent. So the, so the Golden Mile was the one uh, about the King's Cross. In Sydney, so I played yeah. Trent. Yeah, King Kim Hollingsworth's dropkick boyfriend, and uh, yeah, I had some I had some fun scenes in that. I there was a scene where I actually hung a cat out the window <laughs> and dropped the cat <laughs> oh, out yeah. of the high rise apartment. And I believe, if my mother's archiving records are correct, that TV Week voted that as like the most brutal moment of any <laughs> Underbelly series ever. <laughs> So and look, I love cats myself, but yeah. um, and and I promise we didn't drop a real cat out the 
um, apartment. But yeah, so that was that was fun, man. That was um, that was one of the first things I did where I was really playing a real rat bag, you know. And those yeah. those roles are as awful as those people are. It's it's a lot of fun to try and yeah. to try and figure out how to be that kind of person. So that one was. That yeah. was cool. Yeah, that was a, yeah, that was we'll a little while ago yeah. now. That was a while ago. Yeah, that was uh, over ten years, ten years or so, I think. And and then you um you've done a big stint in the uh, in LA. Was it yeah. ten years or something over there? What what did you get yeah, up over there? Yeah, almost I think about eleven years. Yeah. So I so I did the thing. So I did Home and Away, right? And then um that was four years on Home and Away. And then as a lot of people do, they get called to LA because there's just there's just so much opportunity over there. There's so yeah. many different different shows, and it's it's kind of the hub of the entertainment industry. So I thought, well, why not? You know, I hung out in Sydney for a little while, and then that was when I did the underbelly thing, and things were a little slow. So I thought, let's let's go and have a crack in LA, and it was a lot of fun until it wasn't. You know, <laughs> like it, it it was it was very exciting. There's there's a lot going on, and there's quite a culture shock. You know, you don't really think about. We, we watch a lot of movies and TV that are American as Australians, but and you kind of think you understand how the culture works over there. But when you have you spent much time there? No, I've only visited here and there and I, um, my wife Karen's spent a lot of time over there in the music industry and um, so she's done a lot more but yeah, no, I'm more yeah. of this the the tourists in and out. Never really lived there at all, so I don't get that the, the culture as much as what you would. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it is interesting when you. I mean, you would have got a, a little taste of it just from visiting, but it, there's yeah. there's more of a it's a it's a more different culture than what you would think, especially after living there and the way people treat each other and you know all those kinds of things come up. And it was a good time, and I did some feature films. There was one I was in called Breaking In. There was another one called I Can Only Imagine. I did a couple of horror films. One where I was called. Bornless ones where I get possessed and um, end up like stapling my jaw together. Yeah. No, it was with it was with a drill or something. Yeah, all all kinds of crazy crap. And that so that was yeah. I had a, I had a, I got a, a few cool projects, but it just the day to day living for me and my wife in, in in LA was just not really worth the potential to get a a role. Yeah. We weren't really enjoying the lifestyle over there. So um yeah, it was time to come home, man. And, and I'm really glad I did to be honest because yeah. it's you know. Things are a little wild over there. I mean, things are a little wild everywhere, but certainly came home at the right time. And there's one thing you'll probably relate to this with. Obviously, you know, we do Bondi Rescue and people came up to me and obviously we're not actors. If we're actors, the show probably wouldn't have made through the first season. But people come up and said, oh, you're exactly the same as what you are on TV. And I think, well, yeah, because yes. I'm playing myself. But I didn't get it at, the, at first. And then I go, well, it makes sense. And you'll probably relate to this, that you play a role and people, mm. when they meet you, think your personality is that role you're playing and then sometimes they'll be excited or disappointed that your personality isn't what they expect it to be have you ever found that Absolutely, it's an odd thing. Hey, I mean, because well, for you, yeah, yeah, you're yourself. You're yeah. you're Hoppo being yeah. interviewed, just like we're having a conversation right now. Yeah, and right. they edited how they edited, but yeah. you answer it the way you answer it. And then still is that moment, I'm sure, where people meet you in person and 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 think, oh, he he's, he's he looks different, or something. Yeah. You know, I thought he would have been more this yeah. or whatever it is, but you're still yourself. Yeah. Whereas when you're an actor, it's quite odd for people. Yeah. I, I would have I would quite often have people come up to me and and they, and they and they introduce themselves. Off, and they go, you're from that show, and I go, yeah. And then they just, they just watch, they just look yeah, at me, and just kind of wait yeah, for me yeah, to yeah, do yeah, something, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, and and kind of like, and I, and and sometimes, sometimes I play into it and go, oh, should I? What? How is it going? What? You, you know? And <laughs> what's your favourite character? And then kind of yeah, lean into it a bit. But you can see in in people's eyes, they they kind of some for some people, it can be weird that that yeah. connection between you being a real person. 
yeah. and you being the person they see on the TV. I think because, yeah. you know, you watch a TV show or a yeah. movie and yeah. the mirror neurons fire and you feel yeah. their emotions and all that kind of stuff and you meet them in real life yeah. and you think that they're the person that you've seen yeah. on the TV, but it's... Well, I think know, that blank, the blank look, I think, from... Uh, that they're probably expecting you to answer like your character. Absolutely. I, I remember this one time there was this... I was in New Zealand and there was this huge Islander bloke just looking at me. I was in the supermarket and he's looking at me. He's a big guy. And I was looking at something and I thought... And he was just staring at me from the other end. I thought, oh, kind of gave him a little nod and he didn't. He just <laughs> stared at me. I thought, am, is this, am I in trouble here? And he starts walking up to me. And I'm kind of standing there going, is, is, he, is he mad? Is, he, is, is everything cool? And then he comes right up to me and he goes, oh, not the bloke from Home and Away, is it? And I, <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, that's me, man. And he goes, oh, too much. And then he just walked off. <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow. Uh, he, was, so he, was, he was stoked to see me, but he yeah. was just, who are you? Yeah, he knew yeah, it. trying to work yeah. it out. <laughs> so just uh, you mentioned New Zealand. I'm your wife was Miss New Zealand. That, that she was. Yep, she was uh, Miss Miss Universe New Zealand when she was twenty. Geez, you've done well there, mate. <laughs> Thanks. I uh, I don't tell her, but I am I am batting well above my average. Um, hopefully she won't she won't figure that out. <laughs> no, but she that was a great. She she went to Mexico and did the whole Miss Universe yeah. competition, and unfortunately met Donald Trump and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, oh, that would have been a great. She, uh, that would have been a great experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so touching on that, and I mean, on a bit of a sort of more of a, a, a sad sort of side of things, and with this podcast, I want to get these topics out and, and, and speak about them. And I noticed my wife Karen and myself, we had two miscarriages over the last two years. I noticed you um, and your wife, Laurel, had a... I just want to have a little bit of a chat about that because people don't talk about it and I want to get like a, a male sort of perspective on it and, and I don't think that comes yeah. out as much. So yeah, how tough was it at that, at that time? Yeah, it's, it, it, is a, it is a weird, a, a, an odd experience. I, I, I didn't really know anything about it, about miscarriages, really. Until until Laurel and I started started trying, and even then, I, I kind of had this very morbid understanding or misunderstanding, shall I say, of what a miscarriage is. I guess I thought that you know a stillbirth was the same thing. Yeah. You, know, you you go full term, and then the baby's born, and it's and it's not alive. But obviously, going through it and learning so much about it, it's a far more common thing than I guess society leads us to believe i think it's one in four pregnancies is miscarried and uh, our doctor even said to us that most women will have a miscarriage a lot of them won't even know they've had it though maybe they're they're sexually active and their their cycle is is a, a week late or two that can be because it was it was about to be a pregnancy and then the body terminated it and it didn't it didn't carry on so but to, sorry i didn't even answer your question to answer your question it was tough man it was really yeah. tough yeah. uh it was it was it was a lot more tough on my wife laurel than it was me because I guess as a male, we're just kind of an observer, you know, like nothing physically changed in my body. My hormones didn't change. My experience was just like there was an idea that was coming and I observed my wife going through all these changes. But I was just this, I was doing my best to be the support person so that that kind of hormonal, emotional roller coaster that she was was going through was really, I, I wasn't really feeling that as much. So for me, it was it was really tough to see her go through what she was going through. I guess I was looking forward to meeting our baby when that happened and, and I didn't get to because, because it was miscarriage. But for me, I guess the end goal was, well, it was um, my, yeah, as I said, nothing much really changed for me 
apart from trying to support yeah. my wife. For her, it was really tough. It was really, yeah. really tough. Yeah, I felt the same. Yeah, the, the, the woman, you know, goes. They go through the the physical side plus the emotional side, and we sort of yeah. get the emotional side, but it's just sort of the energy from from what your what our wives are, are dealing with, and it's hard to comprehend everything, and it's just yeah. You know, with Karen, she sort of used her animals. She connected energetically with them, and I could see that yeah. that was helping to try and get through those tough times. And even Kobe, which unfortunately we had to put down her dog, used mm. to come up and put a, his head on her stomach. It's like he knew something wasn't right, and yeah. it was an amazing sort of thing to watch and, and the connection that they had together. And I think that really helped the healing process. And Yeah. So yeah. how, you know, the healing process is probably the toughest thing and people can really end up with mental health issues and depression and yeah. can really spiral out of control unless you sort of get some sort of a, a trigger to, to help it. Absolutely, man. I think for some reason there's a lot of shame and guilt around it, yep. especially yep. from the woman's part. And I know Laurel had moments of feeling like yep. this. I feel like, oh, I've done something wrong. What, what did I do, you know? Yep. But it's really not the case. There's, I think from from the homework that I've done about it, it's actually anatomically necessary for a healthy pregnancy. If it's unhealthy and, and there's a genetic issue, the body will no, will not continue growing the baby because it, it's doing it for the good of the child and the good of the mother. And, and it's then there's an emotional side that comes with that, which yeah. is very, which is, you know, which is tough because you, as parents, well, to be parents, you're planning all this stuff that's going to be happening in the future and, and, and what kind of person your child is going to be and, and, yeah. and what kind of parent you want to be and all these kinds of things. It's hard not to daydream and have these things play out in your mind. But it, it's it, what I've learned is that it is a, if it's one in four, it's a it's a necessary thing that, that unfortunately has to happen and you just have to ride it out. Yeah, well, I mean, like you're saying, yeah. Karen had the same thing. She found it really hard to be around people. And like you said, it's the, it's the Mother's Day coming up, the Christmas Day where you planned on the child being here and, and experiencing that. Yeah, man, absolutely. I mean, yeah, the fact that it doesn't go the way that you'd planned it to go and, and, and had kind of daydreamed about about these beautiful moments and experiences and now they're no longer happy, that's really tough. And I think that it's, it, it's important to also understand there's huge hormonal changes that have to happen in a woman's body in order for her to grow a human. And, and with those hormonal changes come emotional changes. And that wave of, of, um, of the hormonal spike and drop as, you know, as a pregnancy is happening and if it doesn't continue, is huge. I mean, even pregnancies that do go ahead. A good, a good mate of mine. His, him and his wife have just had a baby, and and she was saying that even after pregnancy, their baby's healthy and fine. But but that the hormonal change after giving birth is really hard to deal with emotionally. You know, it, it's it's some heavy stuff. And as guys, we just don't really have to deal with it. We just yeah, we just right. sit back and we're we're pretty level and all's good. And yeah. you know. It, it's a pretty cruisy life and as far as that that side of things yeah. is concerned so so for for Karen and for Laurel I mean I saw it firsthand with Laurel her trying to trying to yeah. you know get herself back together and 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 going through these waves of, of sadness and depression yeah. and yeah that combination of things not working out the way you wanted to and 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 also the hormonal changes it's it's a heavy yeah. it's a heavy thing to deal with but I think talking about it and understanding that you've done nothing wrong and understanding just how common it is and how many people go through it and there's a pretty good chance that it will happen to you 
uh, it can maybe give people some solace and understand that that okay, look, this is this is not some random anomaly and it's not some awful thing that I've done. It's exceptionally common, and yeah, um, that's right. And it's part of the process. As uncomfortable yeah. and, and sad as it is, it is part of the process. Yeah, it is a process, and you know, it's something that yeah. everyone out there don't be embarrassed by it. It's something that happens a lot of the time, and it's something go and chat to someone if you need some sort of help. I absolutely agree. Yeah, talk to your mates, talk to any woman you know, and I'm sure they've got experience with it. Mate, uh, talking about the beach, had, have you ever had a bad experience at the beach? It's mm, a good question. Um, I spent a lot of time at the beach. I grew up in the country and so didn't spend a lot of time at the beach when I was a kid, but we would always go on, on beach holidays and I and I loved it. Apart from just getting absolutely hammered <laughs> by a few waves, yeah. I've been pretty lucky. Um, I've never seen anyone get rescued. I've never needed to get rescued myself, although, you know, come coming close by, you know, trying to body surf a few a few dumpers. <laughs> I, I've been pretty lucky, man. Uh, yeah, the beach is a, is a real special place, special place for me, yeah. and I I hope it stays that way. <laughs> How about you? I'm sure you've had a pretty a few bad experiences at the beach. Oh yeah, same thing. Plenty of dumps, plenty of uh, yeah. you know experiences there. A few hold downs. So yeah, it's going to be uh, quite frightening at times. Uh, rescues, yeah. most rescues. You know, we go out and put ourselves in positions I wouldn't put myself in normally. It's you know they're yes. in the worst possible position you can have. Yeah, that's got to be wild. I mean, I'm asthmatic. I'm, I can swim. I'm a good swimmer, but I know that my lung capacity is just not as good as other people's. But yeah. but to be yeah, so so seeing you guys just hurl yourselves out there with that that one buoyancy board into the the crazy rips and swells and stuff to try and save some people. It's I mean, it's terrifying just looking at yeah. it. I'm I'm sure you're you're just trying to <laughs> trying to do your job and not think about just, it too much. Just survival, survival mode. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. All right, Fuzzy, mate. It's fantastic to have a chat with you and, and come in and talk uh, about your career and, and also a bit about your personal life. It's been a pleasure, mate, and uh, thanks for coming to the, into the uh, Beach Shack. Mate, thanks for having me. Anytime, brother. It's been a, it's been a real joy. That was Mark. What a great chat that was. Since recording that interview, Mark has recently announced the upcoming Bon Jovi tribute shows. I'll put details in the show notes. Moving on now, joining me today on Beach Banter is current Bondi Rescue lifeguard, Clint Clipper-Kimmons. Yeah, welcome Clipper, mate, to the Beach Shack. Thanks, Hop. Good to be in the shack. Mate, this is an amazing story that you did, and I still can't believe to this day. (laughs) You rode your bike. That's a racing bike. Push bike. Push bike. (laughs) Not motorbike. From Sydney to the Gold Coast. So for people out there or people from overseas listening, that's probably, what, a 1,000 kilometres Little under 1,000, yeah, 900 and something. And if you drive, drive, it's probably about, what, 10 hours from Sydney to Gold Coast? Yeah, roughly, you know, it depends how you want to do it. 10 hours, 12 hours. And here you are riding your bike. Well, you just woke up one morning and said, I'm off riding my bike. Ah, kind of. Um... I didn't just wake up on the morning, jump on and go. I did plan it all. I've had these sort of things in my head for a long time. Living in Sydney, working down at Bondi Beach, you're just around people all the time. And I'm a bit of a loner, so I like to be alone or be alone with my thoughts. And I'm obviously into my health and fitness and cycling is one of the things that I love to do. And Sydney's horrible for riding. So I'm from the Gold Coast originally. I want to ride my bike a lot. And I was just all these little (laughs) alarm bells kept going off in my head. And I was like... 
I think I can ride to the Gold Coast and spoke to one of the other legends from down the beach, Jeff Scott, yeah. who does it probably every third day. He's, <laughs> he's just a freak. But yeah, started to sort of plan out the route, whether I'm going to go around the back of the hills or I'm going to go straight up the highway. And then, yeah, sort of got on the Google and figured out where I could get to within a day. So day one, actually leaving Sydney at like three o'clock in the morning or something like that. And that's about the time Reedy gets up. So he uh, he tagged along with me for a little bit. His parents live up the coast about oh, about two hours drive away and about 100 kilometers riding. So he pretty much took me all through the Sydney streets, through North Sydney, over on it. We had to get a little ferry across Palm Beach to the central coast and then from the central coast up to his, where his parents were. Yep. Stopped in for a quick g'day. I raided the fridge for some food. <laughs> Reedy jumped on a train and then I pushed on through Newcastle to a place called Taree. So that was day one. That was about 340 kilometres, I think, on day right. one. And in that time, you, you basically... Just got your Lycra on. Yep. You got no backpack or anything. You're not, you, there's not much you're carrying with you. No, not no backpack. But you've got like what they call a saddlebag, which normally you keep your spares in. It's like this, like it's like a, a big wallet, so to speak. Yep. You you know keep a puncture repair kit in there and things like that. But I had this oversized one where I think I had a pair of thongs, a pair of shorts, a singlet and I think like a phone charger or right. something like that. It's kind of like that movie. What's that one movie, Into the Wild, where that guy just kind of snaps and just disappears? It goes off. Yeah, so, so that was me. Um, and then set the second day, I got to actually Taree and then um, completely cooked, just booked a little hotel for the night, click-clacked in there and all my lycra. They weren't really impressed with me. And then went to the pub, had a few beers, and then passed out up early the next day on the bike from sunup to sundown. Then the next place I got to was a place called McLean which is just another little coastal town, probably 200 kilometres outside the Gold Coast. And then same deal again, checked into a little place. And all these people that you meet in all these little towns yeah. are so cool because you tell them what you're doing and they just give you this look like you're mad. <laughs> well, some of those country people wouldn't understand. They'd be driving kilometres every day in their cars and trucks. And yeah. And here's this bloke rocking in with his bike and his Lycra. And yeah, it's it's unbelievable. But it, it, it's such a cool journey. And the things that just happen along the way, the things you can't plan for, mm. there was actually a howling North Easter, which is a headwind the whole way. So it's the worst wind you could imagine. It was just a block headwind. So I had to put in probably twice the amount of effort than you normally would. And then for the third day, I only had about, I think, 190k to go or something. But again, woke up really early, set off in the dark, and they're doing all this construction on the on the main highway there. So I had to ride through and there was just these freight trains, like yeah. freight train trucks going by me. I nearly lost my life about three times and then met up with a buddy in Byron Bay, which is only about 80K out. And then a few people, you know, got a hold of what I was doing. And one of those blokes was Mick Fanning, who's right. a mate of mine from the Goldie and obviously a Red Bull athlete. So he had, yeah. you know, some Red Bull, Red Bull. for me <laughs> and, and I needed it too. I only had about 10 or 15K to go where Mick's place was, but he stood out there as a little little rolling aid station handed me a red bull and some energy bars and then yeah got to the gold coast and it was just a surreal feeling that my legs got me there yeah. like and it's something that i actually forgot about it you know yeah. i don't think about it too much but to pedal from 
you know interstate or upwards of 900 kilometers is just an amazing feat and it yeah it blew me away well mate very very few people can do that so but how are the jats crackers mate was there any chafe going on up there yeah a lot of a lot of chafe <laughs> um there's a lot of stuff that we call chamois cream um <laughs> but yeah I'd, I'd actually have to wash my kit because you're obviously sitting on a very small saddle in a very small area and you know you don't want the beans to get infected or grow mushrooms or anything like that so uh yeah mate i had like the, the little bar of soap out scrubbing and that sort of thing but that's all a part of the journey that's one of the things you learn yeah, along yeah. the way too so three days it took that was it and then uh so each night you stopped in what you went to the the pub and had a couple of beers each yeah night. mate local pub steak beer you know you're just you're burning so many calories on a day like that that anything you put in your body is just going to do you the world of good so a couple beers steak chips that sort of thing have a have a yarn with a few of the local guys yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh guys and girls which is pretty yeah. cool but mate yeah what a journey i forgot about that one so that was unreal mate amazing amazing stuff well, thanks for uh, coming in and telling that story. It's something that I think plenty of people will just be totally amazed with. Yeah, if anyone wants to go out and um, do a long ride, hit me up. I'll uh, give you a few tips. Cheers, mate. Good on you. This week on The Mailbag, I have Paul riding in for his daughters Sophie and Ruby from Essex in the UK. They've done something very special for me. It's called the Bondi Rescue Top Trumps. And they did a uh, scorecard on me. And it was strengths was 9, funny was 8, ability was 10, the jet ski riding was 9, and coming first in a race was 9. So I've had a pretty good score there. And they have made me the Top Trump Top Card. So thanks a lot for that one. I'm very happy with that result. The next letter is from Amelia and she's from Hobart in Tasmania. What has been the most memorable rescue? Well, I've done thousands over the years, but I think the recent one that stands out the most would be the one I had with 10 people. I had to decide on what to do. There was no backup with other lifeguards. So we all hung onto the board. And as I always say, if you float, stay calm, you'll survive. And we drifted across onto the sandbank where we all got back in safely uh, walking on the sandbank. Thanks everyone for listening. Remember to subscribe to Life's a Beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions, comments or follow us on our social media channels which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today, beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.